Anyways, welcome. If you're a guest, my name's Mark, one of the pastors, part of the teaching team, and we're in the middle of a series on the book of Romans called Good News for All, and a mini-series within that from chapter 12 called Boundless Living. Last week, we looked at boundless serving. This week, boundless giving. So I'm going to ask you a question that I'm guessing you've never been asked in public by a mature adult, so forgive me, all right, because it could offend you. It's probably going to shock you, uh, but here it is. Are you ready? It's a three-word question. Are you rich? Are you rich? So tell your neighbor your answer, yes or no. Are you rich? All right, show of hands. How many many said yes? Brave soul said yes. Oh, there's a lot, good. How many said no? How many didn't really want to answer the question? Right? All right, so just get some statistics in our minds. So if we're just thinking about where we live, Dane County, here are the statistics. The average income for a person is $34,000. The average income for a household in Dane County, $71,000. Are you rich? You go, I don't know yet. Well, let me take you, pull the camera back, and let's look at the, the broader scope, like world statistics from the World Bank. Here's what we have from the World Bank. The top 1% of the world make over $32,400. So if you make $32,400, you are in the top 1% of all people. You are in the top 1% of wealth across the world. We have partners in places like Haiti, Honduras, Rwanda, where the average annual income, annual income, 760 in Haiti, 2,250 in Honduras, and where we're heading this week with a team going to minister to pastors and wives in a marriage retreat, Rwanda, 720. So I ask you again, are you rich? The answer is yes, we're definitely rich. Listen to this, 3 billion people, almost half the world's population, live on less than $2.50 a day. That's less than $900 a year. The hourly rate for that is less, and we're assuming... And it's a crazy assumption that they're even working 40 hours. Of course, they're working way more than that. Less than 50 cents an hour. We've we've actually got to come full face to this reality that we are rich. We live in the wealthiest country in the entire world in all of human history right now. That's us. The problem is... We keep comparing ourselves to people who make more than us. So you want to know what the number is for the top 1% in the United States? It's not $32,400. It's $420,000. And that's why we can easily answer, I'm not rich. No, we're rich. And if we don't come to grips with the wealth that we've been blessed by God, we're going to be out of position We won't know how to honor God with our wealth. We won't know how to take the wild ride and adventure that's filled with joy and surprises of joining our Father on this boundless generosity where it is our joy to give to God and other people. That's how we were wired. That's where we find our greatest joy and satisfaction. We'll completely miss out and be, we'll be living in this kind of scarcity mindset where we'll be out of position to honor God with all that he's given us. The Bible's clear that money is a liability. 
That's how we should think about money. Is it a blessing? Yes. But it is fundamentally a liability. And let's just catch up with God's word as it teaches on this. 1 Timothy 6, Paul says to young Timothy, pastor in Ephesus, people who want to get rich, so you don't have to be rich, right, to want to get rich, fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men and women into ruin and destruction. It's a trap that destroys us. For the love of money, not money, is the root of all kinds of evil, not all evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith. So all of a sudden, money has to do with our heart, our spiritual condition. Have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So he says in verse 17, command those who are rich in this present world, that's you and me, not to be arrogant, not to be conceited, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good. To ma- command them to be rich. How so? In good deeds. And to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of life that is truly life. The love of money is a trap. And it leads to all kinds of evil. And it can lead us down a path that will ruin us and destroy us, even at a heart level, spiritually, where we wander off. It deceives us. It deceives us into thinking, this is all ours. And so this self-sufficient, I can take care of myself, and no one's going to tell me what to do with my money, leads to this self-sufficient arrogance. We're not to be arrogant, but money can do that. And money can have us trust in it for the big things in life. Like, man, I feel secure about the future because we got all this money saved up and I'm ready for the rainy day. Nothing wrong with saving for a rainy day. The Bible talk about that. Nothing wrong with leaving inheritance to your grandchildren. The Bible talks about it. But to put our hope in it, to, to, to believe that money and the promises it makes that this is how you're going to know that you're successful. This is how you can be happy. You need to have money so you can buy the stuff that makes you happy and have the experiences that make you happy. And you can have the security that money gives that, that will make you feel a lot better about the unknown future. And yet we know that money can't do that. It can't make good on its promises. Only God can. So it can deceive us and convince us that money can solve most all of our problems. All along, we can miss the fact that we are rich and we're to be rich in these ways, in good deeds, in doing good, in leveraging what God has blessed us with so that we're actually even willing to share it with other people. We're invested into God's mission, storing treasure in heaven, seizing, taking hold of life that is truly life, not just in heaven, but now today. So money's a trap. It deceives us. And the thing is, you never have enough. Solomon says this in Ecclesiastes 5, whoever loves money never has money enough. It's been said money, like gold, is, is like salt water. You, you drink it and you always need more. You're always wanting more. The thirstier you become. Proverbs says this, do not wear yourself out to get rich. Do not trust your own cleverness. Cast but a glance at riches 
and they are gone. For they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. And I don't know if you've seen the statistics of people who've won the lottery and what happens to them five years after the winnings. Alon would say, I, I feel like it just sprouted wings and left. We're, we're declaring bankruptcy. Do you know the statistic of professional athletes five years after they retire where they're at financially? A lot of them completely bankrupt. What happened? Man, it just flew away. It was here today. It was gone tomorrow. So last week, we reminded that we need to live out the gospel. That's what chapter 12 is all about. He's been talking about the good news. And he's saying, look, you need to not not just know the good news. You need not just believe the good news, not just praise God for the good news. You actually have to live out the good news every day of your life. And the way we live out the good news is with eyes open to the mercies of God. In view of God's mercy, he says, chapter 12, verse 1, I plead with you, I urge you, I exhort you to give your bodies, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship, your logical response. So our eyes are wide open to the mercies of God. And that allows us to give our lives back to God as living sacrifices, give our lives back to each other as loving servants and serving each other. And it's the same mercy that we have to have our eyes open to that'll unleash this boundless generosity. If we don't have our eyes on the mercies of God, if our minds aren't renewed by the Spirit of God using the Word of God, we're going to let the world keep squeezing us in to its own mold. So that the norms, the values, the beliefs, the conventional wisdom, the practices of the world become our practices. And it won't lead us down a path of honoring God with our wealth. It won't lead us to trusting God for what only he can provide and not money. So we're going to do this. We're going to just look at three basic principles These three basic principles are founded on one foundational truth. And the foundational truth is the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. That's foundational. That's bedrock. He talks about this, Paul, uh, David does in 1 Chronicles 29, verse 11, as he's dedicating the new temple to God. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. For everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you. And we have given you only what comes from your hand. That is a fact that needs to be ingrained in our frontal lobes. That everything we have, every investment, every bit of earning that you're going to get this week, it comes from God. It's his. When we give it back, we're just giving what he's already given to us. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, even us, the world and all who live in it. That fundamental 
truth then sets up these three simple but profound biblical principles that unleash us to live lives that are marked by this boundless generosity, boundless giving. The first said principle is the principle of priority giving, the principle of first, giving back to God first. It's a gratitude move. It's recognizing that everything that I have is from you, God, and so my first response is to give it back to you, a portion of it to you as an expression of my love, of my thanks, of my trust, of my hope, and my recognition that you are number one priority in my life. And there's a couple of examples of this priority giving, this giving of the first. There's the firstborn, the firstborn son of all the Jewish families, the firstborn animal that is born within their herds and flocks, the first fruits of their harvest was given back to God. It belonged to God. And that's how they would exercise this principle of priority giving. In Exodus 13, we read about the consecration of the firstborn. Here it is. The Lord said to Moses, consecrate to me every firstborn male, the first offspring of every womb, the Israelites, among the Israelites, belongs to me, whether human or animal. So that didn't mean that when they consecrated the baby boys, that they were sacrificing them, though that was part of pagan idolatry. What they would do, though, is this son belongs to God like all of our children. And we're going to redeem his life by sacrificing a spotless lamb who will take his place so that we can raise this boy to be a lover of God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. When it came to the animals, they would offer the animals, the first of the animals, if they were clean animals, they would offer them back to the Lord. They'd bring it to the temple and those would be sacrificed or those would be provision for the, the, the priests and their families and the poor that the priests would feed and take care of. If it was an unclean animal like a donkey, well, that wasn't, that wasn't an offering that was acceptable to God. That was like a second best. And by the way, those donkeys would be valuable to them and they could use it, but they would redeem the donkey with a lamb as well. So there's this concept of the firstborn. It belongs to God. And so you redeem that firstborn son with a lamb reminding yourself of the priority of giving to God first so too with the first fruits it's the first of the harvest so if you've ever read the story of Cain and Abel so these are like the first two kids in in the Bible Adam and Eve's sons Cain and Abel now you might know the story about Cain and Abel and how Cain gets jealous and he kills his brother Abel what you might not remember is why he's jealous and the story goes that they both brought offerings before God and Abel's offering was acceptable to God and Cain's was not. And I have to say, it wasn't until this week that this got clear in my head because, I, I, you know, there's a lot of ways you can slice it and dice it and figure out what was going on there. But if you think clearly about this principle of priority giving, you see it clearly in the text. What it says in Genesis 4 about Cain's offering is he brought, and so he was a farmer, he brought some of the fruit of his crops. It didn't say he brought his first fruits, some of the fruits. What it says about Abel's offering is he brought a firstborn sacrifice from his flocks. 
the priority giving was the response from Abel. Some of the, you know, no, he got some of it, not the best. Priority giving. So when you think about it, God's not asking us to do anything that he hasn't done. And God's giving to us in Christ is so much more than the teaching of the Old Testament. So Jesus is God's one and only son. That means he's also his firstborn son. He gave his firstborn. And when he came, had, uh, Joseph and Mary were so poor, they couldn't redeem his life, consecrate him to the Lord with a lamb. But there's a provision in the law that said, if you're poor and can't afford a lamb, just bring a couple of doves. They bring a couple of doves. Jesus, when he comes to the scene, is recognized by his cousin, John the Baptist, who says of him, behold, the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. God did not provide a lamb for Jesus as a substitute like he did for Isaac. Remember the ram caught in the thicket so that Abraham didn't have to sacrifice his own son? He sacrificed the ram. Jesus didn't come with a lamb. Jesus is the lamb. And he redeemed us and redeems us through his sacrificial death on the cross. God isn't asking us to do anything he hasn't already done. He has given his first and his best to redeem a people to himself for his glory and our good. And he's asking us to trust him and do the same. And the move here is the gratitude move. It's the gratitude move. Let's look a little bit more at this first fruits concept. In Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9, it says this, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. All right, so we're students of the Bible. We're growing to be students of the Bible. The question is, how do we honor the Lord with our wealth according to Proverbs 3, 9? The answer is we give what? What's it say? First fruits. The first and the best of our crop, of the harvest. Our harvest today, unless we're farmers here, would be from our paycheck, the first and the best, okay? Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. It's a proverb, so it's not a promise. It's a wise saying that is generally true, not a promise that is universally true. In Exodus 23, 19, we understand that the first fruits was to be the best. It's the first and the best, so Proverbs 23, 19, bring the best of the first fruits of your soil to the house of the Lord your God. This is a trust move. So we're farmers and we've kind of gone through our stores and there's not much in the cupboard anymore. There's not much in the granary anymore. And we're so happy that it's harvest time and the harvest comes in and the first thing we're supposed to do is we're to give it back to God, acknowledging it's all his and trusting him because we don't know if next week there's gonna be a hailstorm. We don't know if the Sabaeans or the Midianites or one of the other ites is going to come in and burn down our fields. We don't know. So it's a trust move, acknowledging that everything we have is from him. And God, I trust you now as I give this part that's going to represent the whole of my crop and the harvest. I don't know what it's going to be yet, but I'm trusting that you're going to take care of me. And I want you to know the part not only represents the whole of my crop, but the part represents the whole of my life. You have all of me. The part represents the whole in both ways. All that I have, all that I am. It's this profound declaration of God. I worship you. You have all of me. I'm trusting you for all of life. 
It's not the leftovers. It's not some. It's the first and best. So giving the first reminds us that God is the first priority in our life. And this starts now, not when we have more money. Like there's a lot of people that go, I can't afford to do this right now. The teaching in the Bible is actually this. Listen to this. You can't afford not to do this. You think this is what God wants from you? No. This is what God wants, listen to me, for you. He doesn't need anything. What have we already said? We've established that the earth is the Lord's and most of it and everything in it. So we, we can't afford to miss this. But the temptation is, well, man, wait a minute. I got these college loans. I got this big car repair. Man, we got some kids that need braces for crying out loud. There's this wedding coming up. Oh, man, this new PlayStation Pro 4 thing. I got to have it. And once I get it, then I'm going to be ready. No, it starts now. Whoever you are, wherever you are, with whatever it is that God has entrusted to you to steward. Psalm 24 is reminding us we don't own. We don't own the things we think we own. We get duped into the title. And we get duped into the Sharpie that marks it, you know, that's mine. I've got my name on it. It's all his. So we're not owners. We're managers. We're stewards. And so we're in position here. To be boundless givers. Abraham Kuyper, really interesting guy. Massive theologian, also the prime minister of the Netherlands, early 1900s, said this. There isn't a square inch in my life where God doesn't say mine. Not like a spoiled child unwilling to share, but as a loving father who has given us all things to enjoy. See, we're mimicking the father. He who did not spare his own son, Romans 8.32 Will he not also with him give us all things? This is what we're trusting. He's going to take care of us. So the principle of first fruits starts pointing to the second principle, which is the principle of percentage giving or tithe giving. That's the trust move. That's the trust move. And the first fruits was a tithe, Second Chronicles 31.5. As soon as the order went out, the Israelites generously gave the first fruits of their grain, new wine, olive oil, and honey, and all that the fields produced. So whatever you were growing, whatever you were harvesting, whether it was honey or grapes or barley or wheat, it was a tenth of that harvest. They brought a great amount, a tithe, which literally means a tenth of everything. And God had strong words for his people when they ignored and disobeyed this teaching this principle of percentage giving or tithe giving. By the way, the tithe in the Old Testament was 10% for the priests and the Levites, 10% for the feasts, and 10% every three years for the poor. It added up to 23.3% every year. It was a lot more than 10%. Here's what God says to the people who had lost track of this. Malachi 3, verse 7. Return to me, and I will return to you. They just come back from... Babylon, where they were 70 years in exile, and they're in the land, but their hearts weren't with God. Return to me, God, saying, and I'll return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Like, we're here, God. We're in the land. What do you mean return? He says this, will a mere mortal rob God, yet you rob me? This is strong language, but you ask, how are we robbing you, God, in tithes and offerings? 
you're under a curse. Your whole nation, because you're robbing me, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this. The only time it's mentioned in the whole Bible, test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Strong words. If we're not giving our first and best and the tithe back to God, he calls us thieves, robbers, This is strong. This is to get our attention. Now, the first thing we're going to be thinking about is, oh, yeah, we're not giving him the money. But actually, the robbery goes a different way here in the text. He says, when you withhold it, you're robbing me of opening the storehouse of heaven and blessing you. You're ripping yourself off. I don't need your money. I want you to trust me. I want you to make me a priority. For the people in Malachi's day, they were already worshiping other idols. They were robbing God because they were bringing these lame, mutilated animals when they were supposed to be bringing the pure and spotless animal. The leaders were doing it. The, the people said, man, it was good enough for the leaders. It was good enough for us. They're worshiping other gods. They're trashing the poor, not taking care of them. They're not paying the, wage, the, the laborers their fair wage. They're not taking care of the priests who, and their families who are dependent on the people bringing in these because they don't have land. They got a few crops out in the city around them, but they, their, live, their lives are dependent on the giving of the other people. He says, you're robbing. You're robbing yourself of my blessing and other people of my blessing. So the teaching is clear in Leviticus 27. A tithe of everything from the land, verse 30, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. There it is. It's holy. It's set apart to the Lord, verse 32. The entire tithe of the herd and flock, every tenth animal that passes under the shepherd's rod, will be holy, will be set apart to the Lord, because it's all his. It's all his. So he says, the only time he says it, test me. Go ahead. I'm challenging you. Take me up on this. Trust me. Because, you know, I was just talking to a guy after the service. He said, Mark, when you preached on Malachi many years ago, I was so afraid, but I knew God wanted me to take that challenge. I had just gotten a big cut in pay. The uh, boss's owner had taken over the company, and I just felt like he was going to push me out. And it didn't make any sense, but God was asking me, trust me. And so we began to do that. He said, don't stop teaching on this. He said, what happened is, in the next year and a half, I got more than I was getting paid beforehand. I had an opportunity to buy in the company, and we haven't looked back. You cannot outgive God. When my dad laid out the quarters when I was a little kid on Sunday mornings, there was a quarter for Monique and for Madeline and for Miriam and for me. And most of the times I got it in the offering. A few times I went to the drugstore and bought a candy bar. (laughs) But he was teaching me, this is what we do. So that when Lauren and I got married, this is what we did. And we didn't have much. 
We went back to the Christmas tree lot three times to see if we could buy the $10 tree. We had $15 a week for groceries. It sounds like we're depression children. We're not that old. But we just, it was our habit. And guys, I look back and I think about the hundreds of thousands of dollars we've been able to give back to God. And I, and I haven't even thought about it until this week. And I thought, I should just try and figure out how much have we given back to God. And you know what? I have never thought about it. We could own our house free and clear right now. I have never thought about it because all I can tell you is God has multiplied. So the danger of this whole thing is it sounds like this health and wealth gospel where you give 10, he gives you 1,000. You give 100, he gives you 10,000. This is so cool. Like, you know, you keep winning the lottery with God. I'm not saying that. But, I, but I'm also not saying that the scriptures don't say that he doesn't honor it because he does and he wants to bless us. You cannot outgive God. But this is a terrifying teaching because we think we don't have enough. We don't think we're in position to be able to do it. We have to do it now. We have to trust him and move through this because God doesn't need our money. It's not what he wants from us. It's what he wants for us. And when we move into this space of boundless generosity, man, it's freeing. Doesn't mean there's some wild, scary rides along the way, but it's freeing. And we have these growing experiences. God takes care of us. God's taking care of us. Oh, my goodness. He did one of those immeasurably beyond what you could ask or imagine kind of things. We, we have no business being where we are today. God takes care. Will you trust him? People say, well, that's Old Testament stuff. We are in the New Testament, Mark. And praise God we're in the New Testament. And last I checked, the New Testament doesn't say anything about tithing. It just is really worried about the attitude of the heart. We're to be a cheerful giver and all that stuff. And uh, guess what? You're wrong. Jesus affirms tithing, he assumes tithing, and he teaches tithing. Matthew 23, verse 23. You ready? Sorry to ruin your day. Woe to you, <laughs> teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about the people Jesus was talking about. You give a tenth of your spices. So listen to this. They're literally, they're so fastidious about tithing. They were tithing on their herb garden, mint, dill, and cumin. But you've neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Now listen to what he says. You should have practiced the latter. That's tithing. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. In other words, you should tithe and you should care about justice and mercy and faithfulness to the people who have less than us because we're to be rich in good deeds and willing to share. There's a third principle, and this is this boundless giving. It's the principle of progressive giving. This is a grace move. Paul writes about this in chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians, verse 7. But since you excel in everything, church, he says, in faith and speech and knowledge and complete earnestness and in the love we've kindled in you for God and each other, see that you also, what? Excel in this grace of giving. It's a gracious thing. 
It's fueled by grace in view of God's mercy, his kindness, his grace to us. We want to give our lives back to God and others. We're excelling. We're not just meeting the need. We're not just meeting the standard. It's not just 10%. We want to keep giving more. As God gives us more, we're not going, how can I spend this more? Man, what new toy could I have? But what do I need to live on so that I can give more away? That's the mentality of someone who's met this level of giving they've embraced it apparently the woman that jesus saw the widow who put the two coins in the coffers embraced this as well remember the story jesus with his disciples are watching people put the money in the treasury and there's some people that brought in some serious cash i mean this was some big bags of money and man when that hit the coffers it was making a lot of noise and nobody missed it and they didn't want anybody to miss it like, I'm bringing in, oh, help me with all this money. And then there is this little lady shuffles up, and she puts two coins. And Jesus said, she gave more than everybody. And the disciples are going, Jesus, you took your eye off the ball. That was not more. Did you see how much the bags of money these guys brought in? He said they gave more. So she gave more. Listen to what he says. Verse, uh, Mark 12, 43. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others they all gave out of their wealth but she out of her poverty put in everything all she had to live on she gave a tenth what'd she give what's the percentage fifth grade math here we go 100 percent we're good all right she gave it all why would she give it all well the cynic in us might go well maybe you know Maybe she was just, you know, hoping that this gift of all God would, you know, maybe he'd come through. I think it's, it's a heart of devotion and affection and great faith. She loved God. She was trusting God so that she could let go of the very last things that she had. And so it's not what we have. It's what we do with what we have. And apparently Jesus isn't just looking at what we give. He's looking at what we've not given, what we got left. And what is our attitude towards that? The attitude should be, God, this tenth, this percentage, wherever you're at as you make giving a priority and a first priority, that this, you got all of me. You got all of me. And I want you to have more of me as I continue to trust you more and more. This is true of the Macedonian church. We read this in 2 Corinthians 8. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, persecuted for their faith, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. So they're getting pummeled for being a Christ follower, but they've got joy in the Lord and their poverty is mixed with their joy and they hear about the need of the church in Jerusalem that's getting hammered by a famine and they say, Paul, come on, I know we don't have much, but let us be a part of it. And there is this overflow of generosity from people who didn't have it. So we're getting these examples of people who have this boundless generosity and what's true of the widow and what's true of the people in Macedonian churches where they were poor. And we're thinking, man, when I become rich, I'm going to be that person. Have you ever seen the statistics of what rich people give to charity? Not very much. The statistics go higher the less people the less money people make. The book of Acts, Acts chapter 4. 
there's this overflow of boundless generosity. So it says of the church in Jerusalem, there wasn't a need that went unmet. And when there was this big need and the disciples said, hey, guys, we got a big need here, people would start selling their land. And they'd give it to the disciples and the apostles would distribute it to the poor so that no one in the church had an unmet need. That was the mark of the church in Jerusalem where they excelled in the grace of giving. Our eighth right value, contagious generosity. So I want you to catch up with some friends here at church who uh, have been down this journey and I want you to just hear what God's been teaching them. My journey started when, uh, probably when I was a young girl and I got my first allowance, which was probably 50 cents. And um, my mom specifically telling me how God commands us to give back to the church and, and to, give, to give back um, part of what we are given. So I remember taking a nickel out of that first allowance and giving it to the church. When I was in college, um, I just, I wasn't really going to church that much or anything, but then right after college, I kind of started going back and uh, and I realized that I really needed to give, give back. And, and it was really God just sinking into my heart and, and telling me to be generous. And so I started giving a little bit each month, but not tithing yet. I mean, even from a child, my mom would give me a couple of you know, a dollar or so to put in church every Sunday. So I've had that pattern, but not necessarily understanding the 10%. Um, and then a couple of, you know, several years later, um, when Aaron and I got married, we decided, yeah, we want to really get into this and, and start tithing 10%. When we got married, she also had a pattern of giving, and we just sort of always continued on. That was a priority of ours. So. 30 years marriage in May this, this year, we've never, we never stopped tithing no matter what we're going through. It wasn't until I really started working like actually as a waitress after I graduated college um, that I, like God just kind of gave me that desire to really be a good steward of my finances. So I remember this one time I only made $7 on a shift. And I was like, I was so excited. I was like, God, you know, I'm going to round up and give you the dollar, you know? And like, I just remember that in that season of life, like God taught me how to round up with him. But God has always been faithful. There's been times when we didn't know, you know, yeah. how we we're going to make it, but we were sure to pay, you know, our tithes. And I think that was our, not out of like, um, would you say not out of like guilt or anything, but no. just out of our belief that yeah. God will provide and He always was faithful to us. Yeah. He always provided for us. And I think that's been our biggest obstacle is just our own thinking behind it. Like we should do this to no, like we want to do this. Like we want to become people mm -hmm. who meet the needs of others around us, who who give to what God is doing in whatever local church we're a part of. Anywhere is, is a good place to start, so any step forward is a step forward, even the smallest one. Um, so that's what I would say, just start start somewhere, even if it's small. For me, it was like, it's honestly, it's an exciting thing 
to have that be what, like the first that first Sunday where you know of that month to like oh let's bring the checkbook like let's write the check like it's the first check or it's the first gift we're giving and we just trust that the rest is going to be protected and blessed as a result of us giving that first fruit back to God. We've always been faithful in tithing. We've always been faithful in giving um, to the church and, and to, to needs that come our way. And God's always been faithful in, in providing for us. There was never really a never a discussion about when we looked at our, our bills. She always, you know, my wife would lay out our bills and on the top there, it would be tithe. I was like, yeah, that's right. <laughs> So grab your bulletin. I want you to do something. On the count of three, we're going to tear off that flap. So oh man, I'm missing my flap. All right, you do it for me. All right? I'm going to pretend. You ready? One, two, three. All right, good. You got it? Put your name on it, and I'm going to have you respond to the things that are on the flap. And we're just going to kind of do an application here at the end, and you can do some real tangible steps to grow in this whole area of boundless giving, boundless generosity. So the first thing is to just ask ourselves the question, am I a first and best giver? Is that, you know, do I do that? So remember what David just said, uh, the giving to the church is the top first bill. Um, Aaron said the same thing. So a lot of us, we were going, well, if there's anything left, Lord, you know I got your name on it. That's not what priority giving is about. So am I there? So we want to give first, not the leftovers. They gave it to the house of the Lord. That's the equivalent of your local church. So if this is your local church, then giving back to the Lord means giving to your local church and the ministries that God is doing in and through so in a couple of weeks, we're going to pack 50,000 meals to go to the partners that we have and these kids in these schools in Haiti, in this city that we've adopted, this village. You know, this week, we're going to send a team of five people to go and do a marriage retreat to encourage these pastors and their wives who are in hard places in Rwanda doing ministry. They've not had anything like this for 20 years. Right now, there are people telling our children about Jesus, teaching songs about Jesus. People are building into our students. It's through the local church. So it's at the top of our giving list. If you've got offerings and want to give to other things, as many of us do, that's great. But the first priority is bring it to the house of the Lord. It's systematic, not sporadic. It's not begrudging like, like I landed on your property on Monopoly and for crying out loud, I got to pay the rent. And why did you buy Park Place and I landed on it? All right, Lord, here it is. But it's like, it was what Aaron was saying. I get excited. Did you hear it? I get excited about Sunday being able to give back. Is that, is that going on in our life? What about this percentage giving? Have I got my giving to a percentage. Am I willing, like my friend Jim, who I just spoke to beforehand, who uh, said, I took the tithe challenge many years ago, no looking back. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to challenge you between now and Easter to take the tithe challenge. It's kind of simple math. It means whatever you get, 
your earnings, don't worry about gross, net, whatever. Whatever you choose is fine. So if your net pay is $500 this week, then your tithe would be a tenth of that. Fifth grade math says, answer is $50. Oh, man, we're good. All right, so $50. And Jim said, this is what he said to me. He said, I was so nervous and so afraid. Like, is this going to work? So we've done this before. Nobody's taken us up on it. But here's, here's your safety net. If this is like the worst 40 days of your life and you go, that was the biggest mistake of my life financially, we will reimburse all the ties that you've given, any of the monies you've given in. You go, man, I don't know if I can do 10%. Well, don't not do it because you can't do 10%. Can you do 5%? Start. There's a box that says, I'm going to take the giving challenge. If you check that, I'm going to send you some encouraging stories in the next couple of weeks here to encourage you down this path. So make sure you do that. How about for those of us who, man, we're tithers. We do this. I want you to think about an incremental tithe. So maybe this year we're going 11%. And there's a lot of people who have found out that adding a percentage a year is really easy. And over five years, all of a sudden 10 becomes 15. And over 10, 15 becomes 20%. And it's been an opportunity for them to just leverage more and more of what God has given them to bless other people. So where are you at when it comes to this, what we call the ladder of generosity? For those of us who are not giving or only once in a while, make giving a priority. It's that gratitude move. Become a regular, systematic giver. Don't forget, one of the easy ways to do that is to give online. That's an easy way to do it. You can change it. It's safe. It's secure. So if you're a regular giver, become a percentage giver. Don't just say, okay, I've been putting 20s in for a long time. Now go to a percentage. And I'm going to just give you the, give the, do the 5% or take the challenge, 10%. Go to that percentage giving. If you're at a percentage giving, raise it up to the tithe. If you're a tithe, think about now this boundless giving above and beyond that. This is not what God wants for you. It is what God wants for you. It's not what he wants from you. It's not what we have. It's what we do with what we have. God is calling us to trust him in this area of generosity. He doesn't want our money. He doesn't need our money. He is so concerned, though, that our money doesn't have us, that it doesn't possess us, that it doesn't ruin us and destroy us. Like what happened to my friend Kyle. He was a seventh grader when I met him. He was his typical seventh grader. He was a good athlete. He was a good student. And I was his youth pastor and small group leader for the next six years. When he graduated from high school, he went to a Christian college. He, he was playing on their baseball team. He married his college sweetheart. He was a business major. He did really well, and he got a really good job selling bonds. And he was moving up the ladder, and he was making more money than he ever dreamed of. Probably more money than his dad, who was a lawyer. He moves to uh, California and gets transferred to Phoenix. And one day, everything changed. Two men walked in, broke into his home, guns drawn. In front of his wife and his children, the loaded guns were pointed at Kyle's head. And they said, if you don't pay off your gambling debts, the next time we come, we're going to kill you. His sweet wife said, I'm done. I can't live like this. She divorces him. He loses his job. He ends up in a homeless shelter, marries some gal who's a drug addict. Their marriage doesn't last. They have a child. His life is going down and down and down. St extreme example. By God's grace, after many, many years, 
came back to faith and seen victory over this gambling addiction. But this is like one of those extreme cases. And the danger of telling extreme cases, you go, well, I, that would never happen to me. Well, it could be happening to us right now. If we are people who aren't making this a priority, if percentage giving, first and best giving, isn't part of our life, if we're not excelling in the grace of giving and honoring God, actually what could be happening is we think we have all this stuff and this stuff may actually have us. Let's pray. Father God, so help us. Help us to trust you in this area. Lord, keep anybody from thinking that the way they get in your good graces is by climbing a ladder. Lord, we just celebrate that your, your son, our perfect savior, climbed the cross so that we could have a relationship. And may the cross and your mercy to us in Christ, who was rich but became poor so that through his poverty we might become rich, Lord. May it continue to compel us to honor you with our wealth, to believe it's more blessed to give than receive, to put our hope in you for all things, to grow in faith. So help us, Lord, that we might further your work in this world and grow to be more like our generous Father. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.